These days we have other Mexican uh, superheroes. You know, there's America Chavez and like a bunch of others in the Marvel universe, but I don't think any of them are mainstream. America Chavez is so weird because she's from another dimension. Yes. And frankly, I don't, I'm not entirely certain how that shakes out. She's basically Superman. Well, like she's, she has Superman's origin. She's, she's Wonder Woman, actually, but she comes from an alternate universe that's like where like women rule everything. But then that universe is basically destroyed and she was set there and she's the only one, which is very Superman. That is very Superman. Welcome to Direct to Video. VHS? Netflix? Netflix? Disney Plus? <laughs> HBO Max? iTunes? The podcast where we pair movies like fine wine. Uh, or I guess we usually do because this one, this one's feeling like it might be unpaired. Frankly, this might be an overpaired movie in general just because of the genre it's in. Well, what 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 I would say actually is that this is a movie that stands apart even in the genre that it's in. I I I, I agreed with that before I watched it again and I do think it stands apart but so much of it is so I would not show this to somebody who didn't or I could you could show this to somebody who didn't know the Marvel universe but you would have to stop and explain some things. I I don't think so. I think there's a lot that you could not explain and if they ask you about it it's like hey that's very attentive of you but i, I think this movie for the most part stands alone mm -hmm. um i haven't thought about any marvel movie i think since i watched spider-man and I was, I was surprised at how little this movie cares about the rest of the marvel universe it does feel very of its own also it's black panther we're talking about black panther also <laughs> When I was watching this movie, it made me think of that moment. Do you remember? Because I feel like I feel like everybody—not everybody, but a lot of people—talked about it or referenced it after Infinity War. There's a moment where, like, all the f all the female superheroes and superhero type characters are together on screen. Yeah, and everybody and and like it's supposed to be empowering. Yeah. And I watched that and it made me mad because so many of those characters are from like the last three years of a 10 year franchise. Yeah. And yeah, no, also, sure. so many of them were specifically from this movie. This would be a female led movie except for the fact that it has like one male lead. There's also, this movie introduces so many people. In a way that's that's not that's not bad. It's just you're right. It it helps make it feel like it stands apart from the of other Marvel movies because it introduces all these characters and all these characters are important on certain levels. You know. Yeah, and and they also all get to do something mm -hmm. like every character that is put on screen and named serves a purpose in the story like the story itself is really tight i honestly think this movie is too short this movie could have used maybe another 30 minutes to i don't know a lot of these movies hour. outstay their welcome and i would not have you know i feel like it's better to to be wanting more yes i think from like a like a moviegoer standpoint but i i do think from like 
a storytelling standpoint. I think this movie could have used like maybe an extra 30 minutes just to to breathe a little bit. This movie is so tight. You want the extended cut. I want the extended cut. I own, I think I own, uh, I own the Blu-ray actually. So I do have access to a lot of those deleted scenes. Right. But they didn't do like the, um, what do you call it? The Snyder Lord cut. Lord of the Rings thing. Oh, could we? <laughs> We're going to, I'm going to watch that by the way. I wasn't going to watch that. I was not, because I watched Justice League in the theater. Right. We had a podcast about it. I, I, I was alone in that theater. Um, <laughs> I, that, it was the weekend the movie came out. It was that Saturday that the movie came out, and I was alone in that theater. Um, I was not going to watch the Snyder Cut that's coming out, but now I feel like, like I kind of have to because they've released a couple of screenshots, and it looks so bad. Okay, if you said anything else, I would have been baffled. I would have been shot. And I've mentioned before, I I fundamentally disagree with, like, Zack Snyder's ethos and, like, his entire... His whole deal. His whole deal. I completely disagree with it. I I think the most baffling thing to me about Black Panther is that this is a superhero movie directed by somebody who had never touched a superhero property. Because... Those seem to be some of the best superhero movies that we get. Because, like, in... I remember the year before this movie came out, we got... What did we get? We got Ant-Man and Doctor Strange, I think. Mm Mm-hmm. And I was just... And I didn't watch either of those movies. I just... I was so burnt out at the time. But then this movie and Thor Ragnarok, I think, came out the same year. And it was like... I was excited about watching these movies again. That excitement never really went anywhere. But <laughs> but I was excited. Um and and I think I think I think this movie and Thor Ragnarok like if I had to pair this movie with another movie, I would either pair it with Thor Ragnarok because it's a movie that came out at the same year and kind of does what this movie does. But but with a little more baggage, two movies of baggage, right? A little bit more baggage, but that one, much how this movie's like, oh, we're going to spend most of our time in in Wakanda. places that the that the other movies never dealt with, and therefore we get to have a lot of our, our own stuff there. Ragnarok was like, let's just put him on a different planet. That's just, what if he's on a different planet, and then we don't have to deal with a lot of stuff? <laughs> well, except Loki, I guess. He's got, he's got baggage. <laughs> He's got baggage. I would either pair this movie with that movie or I would pair this movie with Blade because I think before this movie came out, Blade was like the quintessential black superhero movie. It was the only one, I should say. It was the only one for ever, you know? And it was a trilogy of movies, right? That, you know, had Mm. a black lead and were very steeped in black culture, um, especially early 90s culture. Um, I think that's why I never watched it. The early 90s thing. There's a lot of movies that I sort of dismiss out of hand. from Because they were made in the early 90s. I agree. For, yes, for being very early 90s, you know, for having that sort of energy. Yeah, I would, I would pair this movie with Blade over Thor Ragnarok because Blade is a movie that is steeped in black culture. Black 90s culture, which I think this movie has, a, a Black Panther has a little bit of. Mm-hmm. Um, but also because um, I, want, I would want to know, because I haven't, I haven't seen Blade, I think, since I watched it on TV as like a kid. And at the time, I thought it was a scary movie. So I didn't finish it because I got too scared of the monsters and I, I stopped watching it. But 
I would like to know what the energy that that Blade is bringing to to the Black experience versus Black Panther, because Black Panther's energy is very hopeful. It's very optimistic. I have a question about this this movie. How do you feel about the fact that I feel like you can see very strongly a lot of the influences in it? Is that like a good thing or a bad thing? Because like it, it is its own movie, but it you can see it pulling from a lot of stuff. Oh, yeah. There's there's that scene where it's just... There's actually a whole part of the movie that's just a James Bond film, but specifically the scene in the lab is, like, so straight out of a James Bond film mm-hmm. that it's kind of funny. Uh, and also it's a comedic scene itself. Um, or Or the ancestral plane makes me think so much of The Lion King, and for a second I thought... Oh, it's just because that's the only time I, I really saw, like, African savannah depicted in media. But then I listened, and I was like, this music sounds like when Mufasa comes back as a ghost. So I think it was a little on purpose. You know, stuff like this, where it doesn't shy away from the fact that it is influenced by other stuff. And that's just stuff that I'm primed to see. Mm-hmm. And again, like... I I don't watch black exploitation movies from the nineties and but I kinda know there's some stuff in there, you know? Like you can see it even just from cultural osmosis. Yeah. I think this movie's use of homage and and things that it straight up pulls from other movies is is a good thing, if only because you, you mentioned that the, the lab scene feels like a James Bond scene. I think there are a lot of scenes in this movie that feel very that feel a little Star Wars. There are a couple of scenes mm-hmm. in this movie that feel very like they they are playing to those specific homages because I think in in a way this movie is saying this is our James Bond. This is our Star Wars, right? Like we get to have mm. this one for free. We don't have to look for it anymore. Um, I think I think this movie is putting itself in that place because it wants to be able to say that 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 this is what it is, and it is for you, the black audience, to see yourself treated so reverently and i remember when this movie came out i watched this movie in the theater three times i watched it the first time i watched it i watched it by myself uh because everybody else in my life was too busy to come i was like it's it's out today we have to watch it now and everyone was like it's midterms we can't just go watch a movie (laughs) and i was like fuck you i'm gonna go watch it so i like i walked to the movie theater by myself and i watched it um, I stole a poster on the way out. This was a really small theater. Mm-hmm. All of the staff had gone in to clean the theater room that the movie was showing in. And I looked over and I noticed that one of the office doors was left open. So I like wandered in and I saw that there was just a Black Panther poster there. And I was like, well, that's mine now. And I left. <laughs> and I, I was so blown away by this movie. I, I immediately, like the next weekend, I... I invited another group of friends, like, we have to go see this. Like, I like you guys need to see this movie. I took somebody who wasn't into Marvel movies, and even they at the end of this movie were like, whoa, that was awesome. That was exciting. And then I went with another third group of friends because they were felt bad that they couldn't come with me the first time. So they mm-hmm. invited me, and I, and I was like, yeah, let's do it. I fucking loved this movie. Like, I drank it up like I was dying of thirst in the desert because, and, and I don't, I, I, I've lost a little bit of this since then, but because because of, of, of a feeling that my mom mentioned after her and my little brother had watched it, which was, after this, it's our turn. <laughs> like, we're going to get to get, you know, our our big Mexican superhero movie, you know, right? Like, it, it's it was such a 
vivid thing to see on screen. It was it was beautiful to to just like watch this movie and and have that little thing in the back of my mind like we can do this too. And a lot's changed I think since this movie came out <laughs> in in the world in society. You know, this movie doesn't hit the same way that it did back then, um, but it still hits pretty hard. I think it's it's a movie that that is hopeful, but not not in a way that is ignorable. That makes sense. Yeah. So there is there is an issue with superheroes that I am always kind of thinking about, which is superheroes are always fighting for the status quo. In that, and and we see this in this movie because the thing that Killmonger wants. They have to go really far to make him unreasonable. Mm-hmm. And so the thing that, that, that this movie does is because it, it has a superhero who is not a white dude in his 30s. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm thinking like, you know, Batman. Yeah. Right. Everybody likes Batman. But the problem with Batman is he's a rich white guy who are the they're the problem, the, the problem of society right now but because it has a character or uh, a hero who is not specifically that it has the opportunity to say these are the things that need to be changed Mm -hmm. i think just that just the just having that superhero exist is one of the things that makes this so powerful i mean i'm of the belief that you like you could just take any superhero for the most part and make them whatever you need to make them i don't subscribe to the belief that any superhero is quote unquote sacred i don't think any superhero is so sacred that you can't just make them something else whether that's making a new character who has the same name like like miles morales or making a new character that's uniquely that i don't care uh, but i do think it's However you do it, it's necessary. Even even Black Panther, who was created by Jack Kirby, uh, was created because Jack Kirby saw saw a gap in comic books. He saw he saw he was like, well, we're not. There's an entire audience that we are not talking to because we don't have we don't have a black character, and it's the 70s, and you you know it, it's the time. For a long time, Black Panther was treated by Marvel writers as like a science fiction character because that's what Jack Kirby did. And hey, there are a lot of science fiction elements in this yes. in this movie. Later, remind me to be angry about how vibranium works. <laughs> <laughs> it, no, I explained it to you. I explained to you how it works. Here's the thing. Your explanation of how it works is not my problem with it. My problem with it is bulletproof glass. Oh, well, the glass can't be made of vibranium, Tony. No, but all the bullets bounce off the glass of the car and don't leave any mark, which means they must put vibranium in it somehow. Huh. Because also, Claw's like, it's made of vibranium, you can't shoot it. And it works better than other bulletproof glass, but it's see-through. That's actually, you know what? That's not the biggest one. I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold on to the biggest one. <laughs> I think that completely bulletproof car is the most sci-fi thing in this sci-fi movie. In this movie with, like, spaceships, basically. And spaceships and hover bikes and... We never get to see a hover bike, which seems mean. Oh, and, and I guess nanobots? I guess that's what all the, the sand-looking stuff is? Yeah, 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 yeah. The, I think, I, the sand table, I think, is, like, such a cool idea. Yes, and it it allows for this genuinely beautiful animation to appear and disappear multiple times in this 
in this mm-hmm. movie. Uh, well, I mean, let's 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 get into it. Let's actually talk about this movie because we've been talking yeah. for for a, a clip and have not started. We've been talking movie. about background a lot. Yeah, and and there's a it, there's a lot of background to this movie. We start off in in the 1990s, like 1992, in Oakland, California, where we meet. Oh man, I didn't take. By the way, I didn't take any notes because I I was going to and then I didn't. Yeah, no, I get it. So here's here's I have opinions about this movie but my opinions are not altogether that important for this particular movie yeah so i'm just gonna say something that i read somewhere from somebody who was disappointed in this movie that i don't necessarily agree with this person lived in africa and said that this movie even though it so much of it supposedly takes place in African nations is a very American story. Yes. And I think because it opens on Oakland, California, they're never trying to hide that. Yeah, it's totally, it's it's absolutely an American story. That's why the African nation they spend the most time in doesn't actually exist. Because it is the sort of cultural dream mm-hmm. of a true ancestral home. Well, that's right. that's the thing. That's what this movie is. This movie is not an African movie. This is movie is an African American movie. Even even though it takes place in Africa, it's and we'll talk we'll talk about it. I think in, at the kind of the the turn of the movie a little bit more. Uh, I think I think this movie understands what it is and what it's doing. And I can see being disappointed in this movie if you are African, but that unfortunately this movie is having a conversation with specifically um, African Americans. Uh, and we'll we'll get there, I think. But yeah, it's definitely a point to bring up for a thing to not necessarily to be addressed, but a thing to note if you are doing a serious like study of what this movie is doing. Uh, so I mean, and we do get something I did forget is we do get like mm-hmm. an overview of the the kind of the legend of Wakanda. Yeah, it's our first shot of this gorgeous animation. Yeah, of the which the I decided sand. I'm a hundred percent for. Yes, it's it's great. They, they apparently worship the god Bast, who yes. is Egyptian, and I don't know precisely how worshipping Bast would have shown up in Central Africa, but I don't know, it's possible. This is a thing that Jack Kirby did a lot, which is he would just take, like, a god from anywhere and be <laughs> like, well, they're actually uh, aliens, or advanced, advanced humans, or magic and they actually existed. This movie seems to treat Bast as being some an actual spiritual entity, which I think is good. I think that right. is what that is the correct choice. Um, but one of the explanations that that Jack Kirby gives in some of the early comic books is that the the Egyptian god Bast is like an adaptation of this god. Like this god is okay. older and earlier, and the Egyptians named their god the their panther god after this one uh, because of like trade and stuff with Wakanda, right? Um, mm-hmm. And that's that's true for I think every Wakandan god that isn't named also has a name that is basically just like a god from some other culture. This is an interesting move to pull. It is definitely like such a like white guy thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, I love Jack Kirby. I think Jack Kirby is like the greatest creative mind that Marvel ever had. But he did that a lot. <laughs> you gotta respect somebody who wanted to punch Nazis so bad. That, that he got to the he got to the ground floor and they were gone. <laughs> like, damn it, missed my oh, chance. I, I love that story. Okay, it's great. Uh, so, so we're in 1992, um, yeah. and uh, we are 
in Oakland, California, where a war dog named Njobu, who is a uh, royalty, is being visited by his brother, who is the current uh, and the current uh, king, T'Chaka, who we all remember from from Civil War, where he tragically uh, was uh, murdered. Whoa, Civil War spoilers. <laughs> guess, you'll never guess who did it. Njobu is being accused by his brother of, of assisting a, a black arms dealer in stealing vibranium, which caused the deaths of, of a ton of people. And, you know, Njobu denies it, and his, uh, his, it, it's revealed that his current, his partner, James, is actually Zuri, a, an undercover Wakandan who was sent to keep tabs on him by the king. Uh, and that's kind of where this scene ends. Mm-hmm. And uh, a ship flies away, and a young, a young boy playing basketball outside watches it as it goes. Yeah, that's not going to come back. You know, now in the present time uh, in Wakanda, T'Challa has returned after T'Chaka's death to to take the mantle of the throne. So uh, him and Okoye, who who is the leader, the mo- this movie gets goes through so teaches us so much about this country so quickly, which is why I compare mm-hmm. it to Star Wars. I think this movie does a great job of Star Warsing its introduction to people. Sure, like yeah. like th- this person is a general, right? That's all you need to know. Like, but there, there's like a lot of deep lore that this movie does not get into that you can like assume, and it's awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, so him and Okoye, who is like the leader of, who is his general and like the leader of this like uh, Kingsguard regiment, uh, mm-hmm. have decided to to take T'Challa's friend slash ex girlfriend slash daughter of a of another tribe, uh, Nakia, out of under an undercover assignment so that she can attend his coronation ceremony. And we get a little bit of a fight scene here. It just shows off how cool T'Challa and all these other characters are, really. Like, that's... It's, yeah. It's a good introduction to just the idea that these guys are badasses. This is basically a setup so that later we can have a James Bond scene. Yes. I, I think it's also it's also an introduction to T'Challa. In in, in Civil War, T'Challa is a, is a very specific trope. In that movie, he is, you know, he is the, he is a kind of an antagonist turned protagonist. He's Inigo Montoya. Yeah, yeah, as, uh, yes, thank you. He has one thing he wants to do, it's revenge. He's the bad guy for part of it, but then he joins the good guys because of revenge. Because revenge. And this this allows him to have a little bit more depth of character. Yeah, because he's not, he's not a plot point, this is his movie, so we get a little bit... A little bit of seeing his, seeing a his his regalness as he starts the mission, but also his humanity when he when he finally meets uh, Nakia and he freezes. He freezes. <laughs> yeah. um, but you know he's he's it, it's we see him dependent on these people, right? He is mm-hmm. not he is not a monolith. He has friends who help him. So there's this great visual metaphor in this movie just about right now, which is them flying into Wakanda. Yes. Everything looks like jungle, and then the shield falls away, and we see the city slash country of Wakanda. It seems like a it seems like a very small country slash big city. Yes, and Wakanda's shield is this great visual metaphor for like the Western idea of Africa, which is like ah oh, deserts and jungles and all that, versus the reality, which is it being a place where like people live and those people a lot of the times live like us but we do not think of them that way in america because we have this weird outdated western idea of what africa looks like and this is a great way to say that without saying it and just being able to see it in a second yes 
And we we also get to see really quickly this this movie's take on Afrofuturism, which if you're not familiar with it, uh, it's like it's you know it's 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 what this movie does. It's this art style um, injecting African customs and culture and symbolism into futuristic environments and settings. Kind of what cyberpunk does to Asian aesthetics. It is kind of what Afrofuturism is, but it's it's less appropriation and more application. If that makes sense. Well, in in this this time, in this yeah, in this specific it did, film, it doesn't always necessarily need, yeah. necessarily need to be. Yes, there is definitely bad Afrofuturism. It's it's cool. It looks cool. It, like it, it also looks like nothing you've ever seen before in a mm-hmm. movie. I think that's one of the reasons, even beyond all the messaging in this movie, I think one of the reasons that it connects with people is because it doesn't quite look like anything anybody has seen before. Yeah. So I think we we meet Shudi, we meet his mother, played by the absolutely stunning Angela Bassett, who has been in Hollywood forever. She's an amazing actress. Seeing her in this movie, I was like, oh my God, they really just like went all out. A lot of amazing actors in this movie who are like mm-hmm. kind of royalty in Black Hollywood. Yeah, we meet uh, T'Challa's uh, mother and sister. They have a little bit of a, of a preparation for this ceremony where we learn that that the ceremony is specifically like him presenting himself to be challenged. This It, it is a chance for the other tribes to take the throne and the powers of the Black Panther. All of the other tribes, you know, uh, accept him. They're okay with him, except for the Jabari tribe. Uh, who's leader. Can I say something about this scene? And I'm just gonna say this once because it's almost not a Black Panther thing as much as it is a Marvel thing. But this scene stood out to me because it showed them draining the water so that they could have this trial over the waterfall. Yeah. And there are a couple scenes in this movie that clearly place importance on human progress over nature and that felt so much like one to me but that's like like i said that's a marvel thing because marvel loves human progress yeah anyway yes go on the the that was it it was just it was just this this weird this weird random thought that came to me you know when i have to watch the movie critically instead of just sitting back and enjoying it yeah yeah no for sure it it's definitely a thing about Marvel that I, I am of two ways about on the one hand, like, cause on the one hand, you know, human technological progress is a great thing and it is a thing. Yeah, that... no, absolutely. It's just <laughs> that a lot of our technological progress has been bad for every other species. Yeah. That's, and that's kind of the other hand, which is that, you know, the world is on fire. And yeah. <laughs> we're not doing anything about it. Um, so we, uh, we get to see, uh, the Jabari leader Mbaku challenged T'Challa. Uh, who is a standout role. Like, the, this actor is, is phenomenal. This guy is, like, he kind of steals the screen every time he's on it. When I first saw this movie, I did not expect to like M'Baku. Uh-huh. I didn't think that was the point of having M'Baku. Yeah. But, like, he's great. He's fantastic. Uh, he's got a lot of character, and we don't get to see much of it here because in here he, like every other character, he he kind of serves a metaphorical role. He, the Jabari tribe, and him as their leader is kind of a representation of of tradition's tradition, right? Like mm-hmm. they don't agree with the other tribes, like from inception of of Wakanda, 
they mm-hmm. consider themselves to be a member of Wakanda, but they don't. But they are like other, even to the Wakandan tribes. Uh, T'Challa is challenged for the crown. Uh, the, the, we got a really cool fight scene. Yeah, this fight scene. It is interesting how quickly it turns almost into re- into like wrestling because they yes. start with weapons. And the reason I find this interesting is because it's not true for the the fight scene that later mirrors it. They start with weapons. And they eventually get down to basically both of them are rolling around in this water, like half, like fighting and half drowning. It's, yeah. It's great to look at. I, it's hard in a movie, I think, to sort of portray a fight scene well, because you have to be worried about like getting people hurt. Mm-hmm. And this movie does a lot better than a lot of movies a lot of modern movies I've seen, and I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's camera angles. I don't know if they are willing to to do things that that could potentially get people hurt. But, like, it reminded me of... <laughs> this is such a weird poll. Remember when we watched Batman 66? Yeah. And there were all these really fake-looking fight scenes, but I talked about how they look more real because the camera isn't just cutting away whenever there's a hit. Yeah. Like it does in modern movies. This one doesn't cut away whenever there's a hit. And so it's it sort of allows you to be in that space. I and I I, I do think that it's it's just good directing because before mm-hmm. before he did Black Panther, uh Ryan Coogler directed Creed, which is like a a sequel and a successor to the Rocky franchise. And as a boxing movie, like like boxing is a very visceral and a brutal sport. Mm-hmm. Um, and it hurts and like he he did a good job in creed of like training his actors and uh, to to be able to do the fight scenes in a way that like he could keep the camera in the ring and on them because that's what he wanted to do right mm-hmm. i think he took a lot of that experience to this movie and even though this movie has a lot of like supernatural fighting like in scenes like this where it's just two people duking it out like it is it, like you said it's visceral they're like half fighting half drowning it's it hurts and it's awesome. And I, I think it's just good direction. I think it's just, he is a guy who knows what he's doing. But also, unlike unlike most Marvel movies, this fight scene like exists for a reason. And isn't just to be a fight scene. C- compare the beginning of this movie where we have a lot of, there's a lot of talking, there's a lot of dialogue, but there's also like two fight scenes, right? We have the, mm-hmm. the saving uh, Nakia earlier in the film and here with the ritual combat with M'Baku. Um, compare that to the beginning of like Captain America Winter Soldier. We have one like super long fight scene of Captain America like infiltrating this boat and beating up a dude, beating up a ton of dudes. And it's like the the purpose of that is so that he can get the like USB stick that is going to start the plot of the movie. But that entire fight scene serves no narrative purpose. It serves no mm. metaphorical purpose for the character who is Captain America. Whereas... Like this fight, the la- where the last fight showed T'Challa's like immaturity, this fight shows his re- his regality. This is him in his element. He knows that this is his right and that he earned it and he is willing to take it. But he also, at the end of the fight, tells Umbaku to yield because he is a good leader and because his people need him. Mm-hmm. Right. I really like that because Umbaku is literally talked off the edge because he claims he would rather die, and T'Challa's like. No, your people need you. I don't want to throw you off a cliff today. <laughs> I, I, yeah, you know, it would be really rude to throw somebody off a cliff. 
uh, in my opinion. Maybe you should not die. I don't know what kind of person would do that. You know, the kind of person who would throw somebody off a cliff is probably not fit to be king. And I'm looking at you, Scar. <laughs> looking, looking at you. Bold stance. <laughs> so yeah, there are no more challenges. This is what got me. I didn't know what the rule is if multiple people wanted to challenge. Because I think the second person who fights T'Challa might just win. Because it's not like M'Baku didn't put up a fight. But there are no more challenges, so we're good. I think at this point, we are introduced to uh, Eric Stevens, played by the absolutely killer, no pun intended, uh, actor Michael B. Jordan, who is phenomenal. Yeah, so he looks like he's he's in the... Uh, he's in a museum, what? a British museum. The, the one where famously they have all the stuff taken while they were off being imperial. You mean every British museum? Oh! Oh! No, but I think it's the big one. So, the thing about Killmonger is that he looks like he could either have no money or be incredibly rich. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, he has... He, he's wearing these clothes that look shabby in a way that might be on purpose. Or might be that he owns shabby clothes, which is a good, um, I think it's a good introduction to this character before we get to see what, like, really makes him him. It kind of makes him interesting. He's, he's a character that up until, up until he, you know, he says who he is. I think that that scene is amazing. Up until Mm -hmm. that moment, you kind of don't know what it is that he's after. Like, Mm -hmm. he, he keep, like, and I think, I think this look that he has during this, uh, heist is uh is 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 to kind of keep you on edge like what what is this guy's deal is he what what is he after what is he thinking it's like right. he, he's a character that every time he speaks you can tell that there are like a million other thoughts happening he's not really paying attention to you you know so they heist this vibranium from this museum this is kind of a weird heist because it's a broad daylight heist and part of the heist is killing a bunch of people and it's good because it shows how these people are ruthless yeah. to get what they want. Uh, unlike, like, like if you watched a movie about a heist, you would want to be rooting for the characters heisting, and so they don't usually just kill random people for no reason. But these guys get to be more brutal with it. Yeah, we get to see Ulysses Claw. It's just his name. In 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 such a supervillain way, his name is Ulysses Claw, and yes, he also has one hand. Of course, everybody knows that. Uh, like the the moment you lose an arm, you got to make that choice. Am I, am I gonna be a supervillain? Ooh, with a name like Ulysses Claw. Apparently, he was in Age of Ultron. He was. Ultron cut off his hand. Oh, really? Yes, I believe. Now it's been a long time since I've seen Age of Ultron. I believe Ultron bought Vibranium from him for his body, and then. He cut off his hand for reasons I don't remember, but I remember that Ultron cut off his hand because I remember thinking, well, that guy's going to be important at some point. That guy's coming back. Uh, and it's you funny. don't just cut off somebody's hand and have them die. That's not how it works. It's it's funny because he doesn't really get to be anyone important. No, he doesn't. That's kind of the amazing thing. Like, Killmonger is not a character that is ever referenced in another Marvel movie. It's, it's he he doesn't have the, like, Thanos thing. Where no. Like, oh, who's this character? And then he shows up. 
Ulysses S. Claw gets that, and Claw only gets about half an hour of being a villain, and most of that time is off screen. So he's played by Andy Serkis, uh, everybody's favorite CGI monster, Andy Serkis, uh, who played, God, he played Gollum in Lord of the Rings, he played King Kong in the King Kong movie, he played Caesar in the Planet of the Apes reboot, he played Snoke in the, the you know, two movies that Snoke was in, uh, Star Wars, and, <laughs> oh, he, he played Baloo in Mowgli, Legend of the Jungle, <laughs> which he also directed. Oh, well, I'm glad he dies. <laughs> Don't say that. I, uh, as much as I hate that movie, um, I think... I mean, his character died. Baloo? Oh! No, Claw. May... Sorry, yes, Ulysses Claw. Uh, I just, uh, like I said, it's another kind of amazing actor. Baloo is... might die. It's been a long time since I've seen that terrible movie. God, I know. Uh, just all wet and sticky. Um, <laughs> that fucking, that so... whole movie is just leaves you feeling gross. Um... He really hams it up in this movie in a way that no other actor is doing, and it's kind of weird. It is It is very weird. It makes me wonder, I'm trying to figure out if he's crazy. Like, he's been through a lot. A robot cut off his hand? He's been at, like, this private war with Wakanda? Like, is he just mad? I do think that there is a small... I think his character, in a lot of ways, reminds me of, um, oh, what's his name from Tarzan? Clayton. Clayton. Thank you. Yeah. Well, he does, he keeps calling the Wakandans savages. Yeah. Despite the fact that he knows that they have better technology than anybody else can dream of. So, like, this is in no way not a race thing. Right? Or at least, like, a jingoist thing, you well, know? Well, I think Which it's definitely a racist thing. He's, he's, like, the character is South African, right? Like, from right. Johannesburg. It's clearly a racially coded thing. If there is a place that has done worse than America with race relations, it might be South Africa. Uh, do you mean the British Empire? <laughs> because that's I mean where it British came Empire from. I mean the British Empire a little, well, okay, it came from the British Empire, but so did we, and then we managed to do worse, I think, than the British Empire. That's true. So, you know, we're just, you're just holding on to the legacy, man. And I think this movie does talk a lot about empire, and we'll get to that. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, so, yeah, Ulysses Claw is like one of the heisters, heisties, heistmen. One of the heistmen. Heistmen. They make off with this uh, vibranium hammer, and there is a character who is a barista who is part of this heist, whose whose purpose in the heist I do not know. I think she's the she messes with the cameras so people don't see them. Maybe oh, so she's the the tech Be- person because she has like her phone out after it showed that that they weren't being seen on the cameras. It is unfortunate we were just talking about how there were a lot of good female characters in this movie. I'm not entirely certain she has a name. <laughs> Linda. And she will die later because they want to show that Killmonger's really a bad guy. That's, it's, it, I, I dislike that this is all this woman's character is. Yes. But yeah, she's just like, oh, he cares about her. Oh no, he's so evil. Yeah, yeah. He fridges his own girlfriend. He fridges his own girlfriend. He gave himself his own tragic backstory. (laughs) He was like, my backstory, not tragic enough. Really? Uh, I know. Um, he. We don't learn his name. I think everybody they just call him Eric here, 
and T'Challa and uh, is uh, no- notified of this theft uh, because uh, Ulysses Claw is the the person who stole vibranium for Njobu back in ninety two, and so he discusses with uh, the Council of Elders, right? Uh, like, what what should we do? Prior to this scene, though, and this is this this movie, like I said, this movie moves at a clip. We do get a scene of T'Challa talking to kind of every character that he's close to. He talks to Okoye, he talks to Na- uh, Nakia, but he also talks to Wakabi. And we get to see every character's kind of opinion of, of what Wakanda should do. Okoye is the status quo. So much that, like, later when the status quo changes, she's just like, this is the new status quo. She just wants Wakanda to be what Wakanda is. Yeah. Nakia is kind of the role of like, we should be out there doing more. We should be, you know, helping out refugees. We should be. So Nakia is the first one who asks the, in my opinion, most profound question of this movie, which is, is it moral to live in a utopia when the world around you isn't? And I think it's an important question to ask, especially because right now the disparity of wealth has never been higher. Yeah. And it's constantly getting higher. And so there are people who live better than other people just because they live in a place that's better than other people. Yeah. And if you have the time to sit around and do nothing, then you have the time to question if it's okay for you to be sitting around and doing nothing. She asks this question. Killmonger asks the question. Everybody, everybody sort of gets a hand on that ball at some point. Yes. Which I quite like. I think it's an important sort of uh, moral and philosophical question to think about. Nakia represents a very specific kind of political belief, which is that we have the ability to do more, so we should do more. But And and the great thing about, I think, T'Challa is that he, every person, he, he never really agrees with anybody, and he always points out the flaws. What, like, like, how exactly would we help them? What exactly... Would we have to do? It's it's a nice thing mm-hmm. to say we should be helping people, but at what point are we meddling? At what point are we interfering with nations that don't want us to interfere? Right. Because right? there's helping people, but people are not alone. And there's that question. There's this question that seems ridiculous to me, which is like, will we make ourselves a target? And like, I don't see that this nation would have any problem defending itself. The bigger mm-hmm. question is, would we make ourselves invaders? Yeah. Which is an important one, because if you go and you say, we're going to help you with this, you, you're you having problems, then at what point do you say, well, obviously these people can't step all over you, we'll make sure they back off. Mm-hmm. And then you have a colony, basically. Well, and, then, and that's kind of where Wakabi comes in. Wakabi is against refugee programs, right? He's like, we, mm-hmm. Wakanda is for Wakandans, but if you want us to go out there and you know save these people invade those countries and give them wakanda i think he uses the word like right he 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 doesn't say that but that's kind of what Mm -hmm. he's saying is like like to give wakanda is for wakandans but if we take their country they are wakanda and we can help them then wakabi is in this scene and in the scene where they're talking about claw i think he is raising a lot of red flags And uh-huh. everybody involved should be like, hey, Wakabi? You planning something? It's hard for me, because you're right, this movie does does move at a fast pace. It's hard for me to parse. Wakanda has almost always been at peace. Mm-hmm. It's full of warriors. Yeah. 
And so I don't know, like, how bloodthirsty is too bloodthirsty. Like, how much is just talking, you know? Yeah. And I guess that's the lesson that T'Challa has to learn. Yeah. Well, and that's and that's the thing, right? Is, like, this is... The, the big question for T'Challa at the end of the day is, like, I am the king now, and I have to steer this ship, and I don't know... Like, right, like, like what, which, which lighthouse is leading me to safety. So he does the thing that his father, who he meets after he gains the powers of Black Panther, he has a beautiful scene that we kind of skipped mm-hmm. over, uh, be, uh, where his father tells him, you know, you're a good person and it's hard for good people to lead. So you should yes. surround yourself with people you trust. We don't get enough of Wakabi in this movie, but he, like, he trusts Wakabi and he trusts his input and he asks him for his input. But, but at, at the end of the day, right? The, the the question of like what is what is right is I don't think this movie ever quite gets to the point where it's answered. Um, but but this movie cares less about what is the correct thing for a nation to do and cares more about what is the correct thing for a person to do. Wakabi uh, comes with him to this meeting of the elders because he's the the general of the border guard. Uh, there's a little bit of tension between him and Okoye. There's got some romance there, and he tells him, "Hey, like when this guy blew up." like a bunch of shit, like my parents died. And you should you, and you and should either kill that guy this, the moment you see him or bring him back here for us to deal with him. So I'm going to say this here. I could say it later, but I'm going to say it here. I don't see a way that what happens next is not an international incident, mm-hmm. except that maybe it's just not common knowledge that T'Challa is a Black Panther. But even then, he walked into this place as T'Challa, or at least looking like T'Challa. Yeah. It could have been traced back. This this whole thing where he, like, blows up a part of Korea. <laughs> Action movie logic, not that big a deal. Yeah. But, like... <laughs> and there, there are a couple of side lines from uh, from Bilbo or whatever. Uh, Ross. Um, God, what's that actor's name? Martin Freeman. He, he says kind of... Uh, he says twice, I think, like, you're lucky that I was there to make sure nobody heard about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in that weird accent that all British people do when they're trying to sound American. Yeah, we get to Martin Freeman's gonna be here soon to be the token white guy and show and show off his fake accent. In this watching of it, my second watching of this movie, Martin Freeman feels like a very weird person to be here. It doesn't feel like the movie knows what to do with him. <sighs> the movie clearly doesn't want him to be there. It's it's because he like. He spends a lot of later scenes, like, literally standing around being an outsider in a way that's so superfluous and unnecessary. And he even has, like, a... He, he's got, like, a thing to do in the in the final climactic action scene. And again, it's so removed from what everybody else is doing. And it doesn't feel like it has the same importance Right, because for one thing, when T'Challa is king again, what does it matter if weapons went out to spies who work for Wakanda? He could just tell them to send them back. Mm-hmm. Martin Freeman, fundamentally, I think, should not be in this movie. And there are two reasons to have him in here. It is one, so that people like me can say, oh, hey, it's like me, it's like a white guy. Oh, look at him. There oh, he is. Look at him go. Being all white in this movie. Or two, you said before how this feels very apart from the Marvel Universe. He might just be supposed to be here so that we're reminded that it is part of the Marvel Universe. Mm -hmm. Or like, you know, a mixture of both of those things. At any rate, he feels really weird in this movie. 
I like Martin Freeman a lot of the time. It's, it's just, he's odd here. He just doesn't really do anything. <laughs> or That's fit part in. That's the problem. Him being, him being a fairly high-ranking member of the CIA. CIA does not come up when it feels like maybe it could. Also, there is this meta problem of this movie where spoilers t'challa will eventually decide to bring wakanda into the to stop hiding wakanda and bring it into like the international conversation yeah and have them do things like share their wealth and the problem with that is a perfectly fine reasonable explanation reasonable thing reasonable decision for him to come to but could it be that he a little bit came to it because the CAA definitely would know about Wakanda, and the only way to stop that would be to kill this guy that he is at least on friendly terms with. Like, him being there kind of breaks the moral journey that T'Challa goes on by meeting his cousin and understanding the the horrible things that he went through and then trying to make sure other people don't go through those same things. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a it's it's like a fridge logic problem where the movie's fine. Everything's fine. Except you get up and walk away and you're like, hey, wait a second. This fucking CIA guy. This fucking CIA guy. Well it it so the problem to me is that he's CIA, which me like immediately on my radar, like he's a piece of shit. And <laughs> And, and like I did have I did have that problem where it's like I don't know how you would deal with distrust of of police in a superhero movie that's not like Spider-Man like explicitly against police yeah. basically except that in Marvel they do go to the trouble of having like half of the US government Nazis and so at least you could say, well, I, I don't think Martin Freeman's a literal Nazi. We'll, we'll talk about him later because this character, like I said, he sticks around like a bad rash. So so they're in South Korea. Martin Freeman's there. Martin freeing it up like, like, hey, I'm here. And uh, they, uh, they, Ulysses Claw gets there and uh, it turns out that he's selling the vibranium to Ross. Uh, and T'Challa ex- tells him under no uncertain terms, like... We're taking him back. Uh, a firefight happens. A car chase happens. This car chase is like one of the coolest things in this movie. This car chase is very cool. It has... I really like Shuri driving the car in her lab all yeah. over the... Uh, I like how T'Challa is, has to like ride the cars. <laughs> That's great. That's awesome. And uh, also, Okoye just gets to be like a crazy badass in this, in this scene she like the she like destroys multiple cars with a spear there is a moment before we even get to the car chase when she is fighting Mm -hmm. on the balcony of this like i don't even know what to call it like a gambling den i guess sure where she like she's like fighting with her spear and she's super cool she throws her wig at a dude but she like throws this guy through a balcony and then like jumps down after him Mm-hmm. And the camera like follows her down, and I was like, "That camera move is the coolest thing I have ever seen in a Marvel movie." Like, how did they do that? Uh, and like the camera, like in one cut, like fall, like fall, goes from her to uh, to Nakia while she's kicking ass, and I'm just like, "That's like the killer fight scene of this movie." Uh, like mm-hmm. that that camera shot is awesome. This was actually this was the scene where I thought this fight scene does not look like a modern fight scene. No. No. This looks 
way better than most modern fight scenes are. Absolutely. Absolutely. And in, in a movie where people are like Thor Ragnarok has, I think, a really good fight scene, but it's a lot of the fights in Thor Ragnarok are like CGI people hitting each other. Thor Ragnarok is straight up magic, which yeah, I don't have a problem with. No, it's it's fine. And those fight scenes are cool. But, like, the the great thing about those fight scenes is that somebody worked really hard in, like, an animation department, basically. Yeah, it's like, it's like I love watching, it's like, here, here's what it is. It's the difference in Lord of the Rings, when you're watching uh, Legolas, like, mow down, like, a hundred orcs that are all mm. clearly CGI fake people. That's cool. But that is not as cool as uh, Strider, what's his name again? Aragorn. Aragorn actually punching a dude who is in a mask with his actual fist and then deflecting an actual dagger with his actual sword before punching that guy with his actual fist. Like, those are two very different kinds of cool, and Black Panther is very much like the the latter. These are actual people actually hitting each other. Kind of cool. Which is good because that is what the character Black Panther always felt like to me. Yeah. He he has he has superpowers. Yeah. But he has like low level superpowers. He's like faster and stronger than a normal person, but like probably not even as fast as strong as like Spider-Man. Yeah. I mean, he's he's Captain America in terms of like what what he does and what he is. Right. And so like his thing is that he needs to like get get in there. Mhm. And actually be fighting the whole time. He doesn't get to shoot somebody with lasers. Yeah. No, yeah, exactly. I think that's why it has this... This movie has to have so many good fight scenes to be able to hold it together. Absolutely. So they eventually they corner Claw. Black Panther just kind of rips his arm off, which is like... I don't know. It just seemed like... like <laughs> he, he did that, and I thought, well, that's got to be connected to nerves. Right? <laughs> like, you can't... You, you, you gotta... Like, at least excuse me i'm gonna tear your arm off it's gonna be i like full metal alchemist tells me that that should hurt all right so right but he also does it while all of these people are like recording and he he's convinced like all right we're gonna take him with us with the cia we're not gonna just kill this man they take him to uh, what i assume is like a little black site that the cia just set up to interrogate him there is a weird interrogation scene where we get to see where Andy Serkis gets gets to show off the weird personality he has chosen for Claw. Yeah. And we very briefly think that there's going to be a a problem when Martin Freeman finds out that Wakanda is way more developed than everybody thinks it is. But that ends up not to really be that problem because he also ends up shot in the spine. And here is where I'm gonna put my foot down. This far no further. Because at this point, T'Challa takes a bead of vibranium, which has up until this point been basically a phone, and shoves it into the bullet hole and says this will stabilize him. Yeah. And then he says, if you don't let us take him, we'll die. You stop it. Because I need everybody to realize what just happened. He, He just, it's like, I got stabbed with a knife and I'm like, ah, ooh. Let me just slip my iPhone in there. That's, that'll so stabilize weird. me. It's so, it's, this is the moment that's like the most sci-fi bullshit in this movie. They keep doing this thing. If there is a problem with this movie, this is it. That vibranium can do anything. Yeah. And that the reason Wakanda is so great 
is because they have this stuff that's armor and medicine and it makes um holograms that you can touch sometimes as nanobots and all of this nonsensical stuff i would have loved for vibranium to be one maybe multiple specific things because like there's there's metals that can do a lot of things but like they put it in their glass to make it bulletproof and they put i guess like pure uncut no it is it is cut it's not pure because pure vibranium is dangerous which is at least something but it's like regular phone vibranium it's like if i took the lithium battery out of my phone and ate it because i was feeling depressed well you know that would briefly solve the problem and then it would kill you and it would kill you <laughs> it would then kill you which is not solving the problem isn't is it lithium, like, used to be, like, a depression medication? I believe it still is. Yeah, so there you go. See? But that's what I'm saying, is even if vibranium works as medicine, you can't just take the stuff that's used for your phone and put it in his back. <laughs> I I do think that the, uh, the these beads uh, are very much, like, a bunch of stuff. Yeah, well, I think... I. Th think they're supposed to be and i don't know if they ever say the word nanobots but i think the beads are nanobots and so maybe if you're if you're going with like the sci-fi idea of nanobots they can do anything like maybe they start like stitching up muscles and, yeah and and stopping veins from bleeding but still it seems it's it's like like i said i i, I do think it, it would have been better if he'd like took another piece of technology out of somewhere and was like ah yes this is our our like super cool medical thing but the, the movie very much is like doesn't bother with doing any of that it's just like nope vibranium it's the magic thing <laughs> it's vibranium and i would say that i'm okay with it if only because that's what what vibranium kind of always has been in the comics and in these movies. I think it's okay for this movie just because this movie doesn't really care about the lore. It cares more about telling a story. Sure. But, like, yeah, if there was a scene in, like, I don't know, Captain America 2, the second one, where Captain America gets shot with a bullet and he just, like, bites a little bit of his shield off and shoves it in there, I'd be like, all right, let's... That's, that's just a plate. You can't do that. Um, this movie at least gets the benefit of like, okay, it's like a computer something, maybe. And you know, I will say this is the part where I put my foot down. You let that motherfucker die. Sorry. He knew the risks when he took this job. Well, okay. Andy sides with Okoye. Uh, Wakanda he's a forever. CIA agent. He is a piece. This is my problem. He should have been former S.H.I.E.L.D. He should have been, uh, mm. I don't know, like, a diplomat. He should have been anything but the CIA. The problem is that, as we find out later in the movie, he is not just CIA. He is well-informed enough with what the CIA does that he knows who Killmonger is and why he knows how to do it. That's actually pretty fair. He explicitly says, he's not Wakandan, he's one of our guys. But it's fine, whatever. They take him back to Wakanda. Klau is freed in this fight scene it's not really a fight scene it's like an explosion and he's heisted out by his heist friends right and t'challa sees killmonger's ring that he's wearing around his neck yeah frodo style which is identical to t'challa's own ring mm -hmm. there should have been a scene where uh where ulysses just grabs that little ring and he's like oh look at that it's precious 
Uh, and I would have been like, hey, Gollum said that. <laughs> so they go back to Wakanda and... <laughs> go on. <laughs> they go... Sorry, she said Frodo style. And I was like, that's Yeah, funny. no, I get it. It's just that... It's just when you're like, ah, Gollum said that. It's just... <laughs> uh, it's a, there's a moment at the beginning of Lord of the Rings when they meet Aragorn and I like nudged uh, nudged my girlfriend and I said, that's that's him. That's the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> God. Oh. Uh, Is it hard to be like that terrible? Is to, it difficult? To be, you know, honestly, it is. You got to search for new ways to be wrong. Uh-huh, uh-huh. To be just a little bit wrong, because if you know anything about Lord of the Rings, you know that you know that there is no Lord of the Rings. It's whatever. It's not the point. They take him back to Wakanda to to heal Ross, uh, and at this point, T'Challa has to let Wakabi know, "Hey, I fucked up. I broke my promise. My bro promise has been broken. Sorry." And this is the moment where like Wakabi is like, "Oh, I get it. It's not going to be the same." It's just going to be exactly the same. You and your father. Nobody ever did anything about this. And frankly, if you're not willing to bend a little bit, he did just go to Korea to try to get this guy. Mm-hmm. You know, there's video footage of him almost killing him. But he did it. I understand. It's just that, like, they are coded as, like, best friends. Yeah. Your best friend should get a little bit of benefit of the doubt when he fails to kill, like, your country's Osama Bin Laden. We, it's funny that you say that, actually, because uh, apparently Andy Serkis made the exact same comparison. When I was watching this, I was, and it's maybe, it's because at the time that we're recording this, it is September 11th, 2020. Yeah, so. <laughs> maybe it is because... I was watching on, like, September 10th. But at the time I was watching it, I was like, oh, this is, like, their 9-11. Yeah. This is, like, the thing that everybody remembers happened a while ago. and But they didn't have the thing that we had, which is, like, overly zealous ideas about, like, what our army should do about it. You yeah. Know? So, yeah, that's very much what it felt like to me. And, yeah, and that's, and that's kind of the thing, right? Is, like, if this is what this is, mm-hmm. at what point is this character who is... A military man, a warrior, right? Who whose job is to prevent something like that happening ever again? Whose parents died the last time it happened? It's not frustration at T'Challa, but frustration at the system that T'Challa now represents. Mm-hmm. And I, it, here, it, it's less that he's saying, "I don't trust you as my friend," and it's more like, "I don't believe that you can change this system anymore." Like this was your chance to do it. At this point, T'Challa goes to Zuri and is like, "Yo, what the fuck?" I just saw this guy who has a ring that looks exactly like my dad's ring that he got from grandpa. And there's only one other person in the world who could have had a ring like that. And at this point, we figure out, we learn what what happened back in 1992. We we learn that Njobu confesses to to doing the crime, but also that the reason he had become so, so like radicalized to the point of supporting a terrorist attack on his own country was that... You know, he'd fallen in love with an American woman. He had a kid. He wanted to help these people. And he states explicitly to to T'Chaka in this conversation, like, mm-hmm. there are people all around the world who look like us, who don't have what we have, who don't have our chances. And I am just giving them the means of fighting back. If we could just give them the means to fight back, to protect themselves, this world would be different. Yeah, and T'Chaka doesn't uh, go in for it, which he knew he wouldn't. Yeah, he points a gun at Zuri, who was his the betrayer, right? You know, he was the mm. sheep in black's clothing. 
Hey, could I raise an issue I have with this movie? Yeah. I try not to have an issue with the fact that they have African-sounding names. Mm-hmm. But I do have an issue with the fact they have somebody named Zori and somebody named Shori. Because I'll be honest, when you said Zori, I was like, wait a second, is she in this scene? And then I realized what you were talking about. Do go on. Yeah, no, no, it's no problem. Uh, I definitely, I, I will say maybe that's on me. I'm not hitting that Z hard enough. Zed Zuri as opposed to Shuri or Shuri. I mean, I think I think it might have been a problem with when this when these characters are written in comics. <laughs> nobody thought they looked like when when you looked at them, it doesn't look so bad. No. But when you say them out loud in the same movie together, they they just sound extremely similar. Maybe that's why those two characters are never really on screen at the same time. Could be. You never have a moment right where Black Panther is like, ah, yes, here's my dad's best friend Zuri and also my sister Shuri here together. But yeah, so he was going to kill Zuri and to protect him, T'Chaka kills him. And they they decide to leave him and his son there. Yeah, so this is Buck Wild because, frankly, I just don't understand it. Obviously, T'Challa brings us up with his father the next time he sees him. Spoilers again. But it shows one a certain amount of lack of forward thinking leaving your nephew alone in a foreign land it's not clear if he has a mom Mm -hmm. is a really weird choice when you could also just basically kidnap him and indoctrinate him into your country Mm -hmm. but also shows a shows an amount of like lack of uh genre savviness (laughs) yeah (laughs) because as a king, I feel like you should be worried about, like, angry sons of family members, right? Because a lot of the king- a lot of king's problems come from angry sons of family members, just historically. Yeah, it's the extreme position. Isolationism, keeping this country secret, is so important. And the the thing that I kept thinking of during this scene was- what T'Chaka said to T'Challa, it's hard for a good man to be king. Mm-hmm. He explicitly was not a good man, at least not in this moment. He did an awful, terrible thing and had to live with it forever because he had to pretend it never happened. Yeah, And that's the thing, right? The story was that his uncle disappeared. Right. It wasn't even that he, like, died on a mission. Yeah. He just he's just gone. The tragedy of that, and I think the unspoken tragedy of that, if you really think about it, is that when Eric finds his dad dead there to the United States, to America, that is just another black man who died that no one's going to care about, probably because this guy was clearly running guns and trying to radicalize the local black population. He that story is going to become in in America in the 90s is a story of good riddance. I, I think a lot of what this movie does is said unspoken because you can make that logical leap that what they did to the to to Anjobu leaving him there, it essentially erased him. T'Challa does put a little bit of a bow on it when he says, you didn't even bury him. T'Chaka never acknowledged that this was his brother. And that's real the, miserable. Right? No, and it it I think that 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 gets worse later for sure. Mm-hmm. And that that little kid ends up being, you know, Eric Stevens, Killmonger, 
the villain of this movie. And we, we learn a little bit from uh, Ross about his background. He is a black ops soldier who was specifically trained to topple foreign countries. And this is the part where Everett Ross should have died on that table because that's that's <laughs> what the CIA does. Right. I mean, he talks about how this is their training. Yeah. It's their playbook that they invented. It's explicitly his thing. I mean, why did he want vibranium? Right? Why did the CIA want vibranium? Yeah. What were they going to do with it? Make a time bullet. I don't know what that is, but it sounds like something you could make with vibranium. (laughs) So while this is happening, Killmonger fridges his girlfriend. Hard. Kills Claw. Yeah, who at least dies for a reason. Before killing him, showing him that he's Wakandan, to just really rub that in his face. Takes his body to the border and presents it to uh, Wakabi and is brought in front of T'Challa. This scene, the, this scene, and then from here, I think, for a bit, these couple of scenes, is like the real heart of this movie. I did not realize the first time I watched this, it takes the movie a long time to get here. Yeah. And it doesn't feel like a slog or anything, but it took its time. Yeah. For what, you're right, is absolutely the heart of the movie. I, I wish we could have lived in this moment a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Th- this throne room scene anyway. The the conversation at hand is um, the the elders are like, get this guy out of here, fuck this guy. And, you know, T'Challa asks the question that I think everybody has, which is, what are you doing? What is this for? What are you, what's your plan? What's your end game? To, to which he says, uh, I, I'm here to take that throne. This is mine. This is my birthright. He he t- he tells T'Challa, "Ask me who I am," and, and T'Challa isn't having any of it. He's like, "I'm not I'm not playing this game with you." But one of the other elders, you know, asks, and he tells them, you know, "I am Jadaka. I am Njobu's son." And he he basically like reveals the secret, the lie, right, that the T'Challa's father had like maintained for decades, right, probably for most of his reign. Uh, Killmonger challenges T'Challa to ritual combat. T'Challa accepts, which is, this is, I think, the real key choice that T'Challa makes in this movie, because he could have not accepted, right? I don't know. Is accepting... He obviously does make the choice to accept, but I wondered if that was just showing that T'Challa cares about the ancient laws, the customs, in a way that Killmonger never will. Because, of course, as soon as Killmonger becomes king, he starts destroying them. But yes, he he does explicitly make that choice. I don't know what would happen if he didn't. I do not think, like, right, like, like the, the kind of the what if of, of like, what, what would happen if he had said no, what, what would have played out, I think is less important than why he decided to accept the challenge, which is to explicitly say to Killmonger, your voice matters here. What happened to you was wrong. That's the big, kind of the big argument that he has with, uh, with Zuri earlier. Why did any of this have to happen? to this kid they essentially like put this kid in a position of radicalization but also and a lot of people i think bring this up which is that killmonger has a point what's not like what's wrong with killmonger isn't his message it's his method it's his pain well the problem is that killmonger has a point but has been very much shaped by shaped even by the point that he's making to where what he wants to do is be as bad as or worse than the people who have made him what he is. Mm-hmm. When, you know, if he were going to be more of a hero or anti-hero character, he would just want to dismantle, 
that. Yeah. Instead of replacing it with the same thing, but him in charge. Yeah. His treatment of, like, his using the custom, like you mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. he uses this custom to force T'Challa's hand, but then as soon as he's in power, destroys it. Like, that's that's what he is, you know? And again, as, as mentioned by Ross, it is what he has been trained to do. So they have the ritual combat. This combat is interesting. I mean, it's a good fight, but I was trying to see, like, the psychology of it. And mm-hmm. I really don't think T'Challa wanted to kill Killmonger. No. In a way that I think that is... I mean, I think Killmonger could hold his own, obviously. Yeah. But I think that is the reason that he lost against Killmonger and not to Umbaku. Umbaku might not have even wanted to kill T'Challa either. Yeah. He just wanted the throne. But Killmonger did not have that, that like, piece of mercy that, w- that would have made him hold back at important moments. No, for sure. And I mean, like, you, you see the difference between this combat and the last ritual combat is, is how visceral it is. But, like, the thing about this fight is that at this point, T'Challa knows he's wrong and doesn't know how to make it right. Whereas Killmonger has the strength of his conviction. He is on this path. He's not stopping. You know, T'Challa tries to, to talk him out of it. Yeah, but he doesn't do very well. All he says is, like, we'll find another way. And that's going to sound pretty hollow. Yeah. Man, he gets his ass kicked. Very much so. To the point where the ritual combat is interrupted by Zuri, who Killmonger then recognizes as his Uncle James just before he kills him. Yeah. And that, I don't know why that was the moment, but I got really sad. Yeah. I was just like, oh, that's sad. That's a real Obi-Wan Kenobi moment. Well, I I just a little bit got sad for Killmonger, too. Yeah. Because this, when he recognized him as, quote, Uncle James, that made me think, well, this was a person he trusted, and he never saw him again after his dad dies, and maybe he thought he'd run off, maybe he thought he'd killed him for a while, but now here he is. Uh, Yeah, no, for sure, right? Like, Eric, he is the tragic figure of this story. You, you can easily see if... T'Chaka had just made a different choice, this guy being as good, if not better, than T'Challa. Because unlike T'Challa, Eric never second-guesses himself. He truly believes in what he's doing. And if that if that message had just been put into a, 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 a vessel that was healed as opposed to one that was broken, he could have done amazing things. But, but now all he is is angry and resentful. Because he even says, you know, I'll kill both of you, and he does. Well, uh, he 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 gets a he gets a he gets a fifty percent, which is an F. But you know he, I think, <laughs> I think you can raise it up to a B for effort because he straight up throws uh, T'Challa off this cliff. Uh, at this point, Nakia, who is incredibly politically adept, is like, "We gotta get mom and sis out of here." That makes a lot of sense. You don't have to be that genre savvy to be like, "Hmm, the new king's probably gonna kill anybody who had anything to do with the old king, huh?" Probably should get them out of here. They are smuggled away and Killmonger, uh, you know, becomes king. And he is given the the rights to become Black Panther. You know, he gets the heart-shaped herb uh, juices poured into his mouth and he goes through what T'Challa went through earlier with his uh, ceremony. You know, he's buried in the sand and he gets to go to... The, the wording is specifically he gets to go to the, the world of his ancestors. And this is, to me, like the real 
tragedy of what T'Chaka did. Because when T'Challa goes to the world of his ancestors, he is in he's in the savannas, right? He and he he gets to see like like in the distance hundreds of Black Panthers, right? Right. They're all they're all like crouched in trees. This makes it feel like a family tree type thing. Yeah. Like it was all of them down to him. But all Killmonger gets is a room and his dad. As the room that his dad died in. Yeah. His childhood home. And the symbolism here, and there are tons of people who have written about this scene, because this scene is is the key. This scene is what makes Killmonger's character so, such a fucking, like, so speakable, is that mm-hmm. in the distance, out of the window, you can see the same sky that T'Challa sees, but it is so removed, it is so far away, it is disconnected. And the conversation that he has with his dad here is like, he, you know, he mentions, you know, like, they're going to say you're lost. And the reason he says that is because that's what he is. He is disconnected from his own ancestral home, spiritually, as well as in this moment. I think that speaks to, to and like, pro- definitely not everybody, and I'm, and I'm like the last person who should be saying this, but that, that speaks to a lot of people's experiences here in the United States, but more specifically to, to Black people because of the history they literally had that taken away from them this is the hypocrisy all right of the choice that t'challa's dad has made is that by leaving him here by separating him from his ancestral home he has done something equivalent to what will happen to a lot of black people in america he has removed his culture from him that that is a murder that cannot be apologized for and killmonger's response to it is maybe they're the ones who are lost and i'm gonna go find them best scene in the movie Holy shit. Holy shit. And then he wakes up and burns all the, uh... Yeah. And burns all the magic fruit that does that. Which I guess has nothing to do with vibranium, which is an interesting thing. There is a side thing that also gives people powers. Yeah. That they have. Which I hadn't considered until now after I did the rant about how vibranium does everything. (laughs) Well, Tony, let me tell you about why these flowers are magical. Alright. Just, yeah, alright. I'm just kidding. Is I I wouldn't be surprised honestly. <laughs> I I do think it's because of vibranium, but I I wouldn't be able to tell you what what reason they have for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say just as like as, as an aside that the actor who plays uh Njobu plays Killmonger's dad, uh, Sterling Brown, got a lot of recognition for this scene in particular because he's only in this movie for like five minutes. But like this scene, this like two minute scene, like. I think hit a lot of people really hard and emotionally because of this guy's acting as his dad and like the realization that his dad has when he tells him like, what have I done? What have I created with this, with this kid? So yeah, he wakes up, he burns the heart-shaped flower, but before he gets to do that. By by, by the way, by the way, by the way. By the way. Quit Google on the Marvel Wikia (laughs) says that um, the heart-shaped herb was mutated by the giant meteorite of, of vibranium nice there we go just so we're all clear <laughs> so we so yeah vibranium mutation that's that's how we do uh, but before he gets to burn all of them uh nakia sneaks in and steals one her plan is for them to appeal to mbaku to overthrow killmonger and she tries to get Okoye in on this. And this is the scene that you mentioned earlier, right? Where Okoye is like, says no to that. Right. Her her loyalty is to the throne. Let's see. Nakia, Shuri, Black Panther's mom, and 
Uh, I call her the Queen Mother because that's how she is most often referred to. Queen Mother is a really cool name. And I, like, I don't know if they say her actual name. I'm sure somebody does at some point. But, like, it it got right by me. So in my head, I call her the Queen Mother. Yeah, it's it's Ramonda, Ramonda, but... Um, oh, it says here that she's his stepmother. Oh, that's kind of interesting. That is interesting. They they go and they appeal to Umbaku, basically saying like, "Come on, you gotta you gotta do this. This guy's insane." Umbaku's like, uh, "This is where this guy really shines. This character. Oh <laughs> my god." Ross tries to you know do anything and and it's like, "Hey, this isn't go go be a character in like a different movie." Yeah, he, like, hoots him down. I don't know if that's that's the word to describe the, like, gorilla-type sound that he makes. The woo. Yeah. Uh, but he just will not stop until Ross stops talking. Yeah. I feel like they try to use the fact that Ross does not belong in this movie as comedic fodder, but it, like, just feels like he doesn't belong. That being said, Umbaku's great. He's fantastic. He has a little bit of fun here before he, he takes them to a, like, a medicinal tent thing Mm -hmm. giant ice pack so the gorilla tribe does not appear to have the same like technological advancements that the rest of wakanda has and i assume it's because they have explicitly made themselves removed from wakanda i do think that they definitely do have some technological advancements like they're self-sustaining it might be that they choose to live in a way that they don't use the technological advancements all the time yeah too for sure it's I wish I wish we had more of this what the what this like what these guys lifestyle is it's it seems mm-hmm. very interesting for sure because yeah you're right I'm not I don't know what their uh, what their whole deal is right what they were what, what what whether they are just like anti-technology or whether it's something right. else so T'Challa's laying in this tent he is in a coma but they've packed him in snow yeah. so that he does he's not gonna die straight away which is the 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 one scientifically sound thing that happens in this movie yeah for sure you know it you know lowers the heart rate puts the body Mm -hmm. into like overdrive mode he tells them like listen if you could move him but as soon as you do he's gonna die and they decide to give him the uh the powers of black panther and hope that that would heal him yeah, and we get to see the ancestral plane for the last time. And I feel like we've talked about this scene a bit already. Yeah. But what I like, just the one thing I like about it is that it's in sunrise. Yes. Which I quite like as another good visual metaphor. Also, all of the um, past kings, I assume they're all past kings, are standing around as humans instead of just being more vague. Mm-hmm. I assume because T'Challa, instead of feeling like they have passed something down to him, feels like he needs to confront them. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, and also, like, I, I do think another part of it is is that that spiritual reverence, right, has been broken. These are now people who have made mistakes, and and specifically one big mistake that, that he feels needs to be addressed now at that moment by him, which is that turning their backs on the world is not the solution because they are a part of the world and they have a responsibility to it as well, not just to their home country. So so he wakes up, he's healed. They decide that they are going to overthrow Killmonger and stop him from orchestrating the, all of the war dogs around the world into revolting uh, with Wakabi. M'Baku is like, all right, you can, y- y'all can leave now. Get the hell out of here. I, hel- I helped. 
I really like Umbagu in this scene too, where everybody's like pledging their loyalty to Chichala, and Umbagu's like, "Are you done?" Because they're in his throne room, right? I know. <laughs> Nobody bows down to me in my throne room. And T'Challa tries to enlist his help, and he says, nah, that probably won't come back either. So. It's amazing all the things that don't come back in this movie. Honestly, you could count them on one hand. It's so many. They confront Killmonger, tells him, hey, you know, challenge isn't over yet, buddy. Let's keep duking it out. This is, I think, the big, big fight scene of the movie, right? This is the, like, the airport fight scene in Civil War. This is, like, the the big end fight scene. This is the rest of the movie is this fight scene. This movie, yeah, it, what is it like a 15 minute fight scene ah god it has to be yeah like it it's a long fight scene in fact my my notes as as much as i had them pretty much died off here just because there was so much fight scene and it wasn't it didn't feel belabored no every fight that was happening felt earned but also so i i have this problem in a lot of superhero movies but it, it's i think the biggest in in the 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 man of steel movie which is like 90% fight scene every time a fight scene happened in that movie the movie stopped no plot happened during those fight scenes it was like superman arrives they plot happens for like 2 minutes and then like a 30 minute fight scene happens and then after the fight scene's over we can have more plot but but for, for 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 this entire movie, including this incredibly long fight scene, the the plot is moving forward. It's just the the fight scene is serving a purpose to the plot, where we get to see all of these characters who have been introduced get to have their limelight, but also get to choose explicitly which side of this ordeal that they're on. Okoye uh, and her her regiment are like are in support of T'Challa, of you know, and they fight. They turn on Killmonger, but Wakabi chooses, like, no, we're going to stick by this guy. This guy can do the thing. And Wakabi, I did not appreciate it at the start of the fight. He has a much bigger fighting force. Yeah. Which is very important. Yeah. Oh, and also he gets rhinos. Yeah, which is an even bigger, bigger fighting force, right? Like, Which seems like a crazy thing to turn on your own people, but I guess when you're, when you're at the beginning of a civil war, you go big or go home. And, and what I will say is, it's like, it's a good fight scene. It's just as hard to talk about a fight scene. It's like, oh, and then he punched this person. Yeah, and then it's just some, it's some good fight scene stuff happens. What do you want? Yeah, like, go watch it, you know? It's, 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 there's nothing I could describe that would be cooler. There's a little bit, it feels a little bit in this, I think I said this before sometime in this podcast. It feels a little bit Lion King. Yeah. You have the false king being fought by the... The people who were closest to him, who were all women, but he had already developed this, like, oh, these are who's on my side. And so there's this, like, secondary fight happening. And then, of course, T'Challa gets Killmonger off alone, and they fight in a pit. Hell yeah. Their bit, we don't need to describe the fight scene, but they end their particular fight in the Vibranium Mines. Yes. Where there are these sound dampeners that stop vibranium from basically doing all the cool stuff it does and so it has it has this sort of flow that reminds me a little bit of star wars episode one yeah the duel of the fates yeah yeah where they're fighting and then this stuff turns on and they have to stop because there's a train in between them yeah and their armor stops working but that was uh, that was something T'Challa wanted because he wanted Killmonger's armor to stop working long enough 
for him to stab him because it's good armor they're wearing and they could just fight like that forever they could i i will say bringing up the duel of the fates star wars scene is that in star wars every time that those shields turned on and they couldn't fight was kind of annoying it was there was i believe the jedi started sitting around like i i think it was supposed to be they were like meditating and getting ready but like they sat down (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but in this every time the train goes by like we get we get like conversation you know they talk to right. each other and they argue it is more interesting than the duel of fates in star wars it just makes me think of that it makes me yeah no for sure i just want to bring it up because i do think that yeah. i was like why why was that not cool but this is cool it's like oh because they're talking to each other but but also because they're like the moral in in an action movie every fight scene has to can't, it can't just be a cool fight scene. It should be a cool fight scene, obviously. But the, the 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 characters who are fighting are not fighting to look cool. They are fighting because they both have a moral stance that neither of them is willing to back down on. The fight is a metaphor for the argument, for the conversation. And so uh, every time Killmonger brings up a good point, he also gets an upper hand in the fight. And every time T'Challa counters it and brings up his own good point, we see kind of the reverse. So something that you will see in books more than movies, but that I think more movies are being smart enough to do, Mm -hmm. is the fight is a metaphor. Yeah. It's so important in storytelling that like nothing is wasted. If you have a fight scene, it has to mean something. And they do that very well in this movie. Yes. The, The cool mechanic works. Black Panther is able to just get the spear like into this guy's chest right as the the suit closes around over it, which is like cool. And uh, this is a way to die that apparently fucking hurts, but also takes a long time because he's not bleeding out. The spear's still in there. Yeah. So T'Challa like walks Killmonger back up to watch the sunset and offers to like get him medical help. The same, sort of the same thing he did to M'Baku. And Killmonger has a great closing line about how the men who jumped off the ship knew that uh, death was better than life in chains. Mm-hmm. And it's a really resonant line. But also, I bet Wakandan prisons actually work. Like, the way Wakanda is shown to me, I bet they have decent prisons. For sure, but I, I, I do think it, it, does serve, it does serve as a big question, right? Because Killmonger isn't, like, a guy who stole some fruit. He's not a guy who, mm-hmm. who committed murder. He's, not, he's more than that. He represents a political ideology that he refuses to leave. And the question isn't isn't just if i let you heal me you'll keep me in, you'll keep me locked up it's do you even know what you would do with me or would you right. just or would you just do what your dad did and just hide it uh but he he takes that choice into his own he's like no i i'm i would rather die here i think i think to me it's it's represented it, it's a good moral for t'challa right which is that this kind of a mindset, this kind of this 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 way that the world raises people leaves no room for conversation. You don't you can't yield to this. And that's basically where the movie ends. But we do get a little bit more wrap up, I think, after this. Uh, to, we see T'Challa take back the throne room and we see him. We see him and uh, Shuri 
in back in Oakland, uh, where he he mentions to her like, "Hey, this is this is where everything started. Was in this building, uh, and I bought it." He gets to have an Iron Man moment here that I think is cool. He's like, "I bought this building, and that building, <laughs> and that one over there, and here's my cool spaceship." He does get to show off his cool spaceship. A bunch of kids are like, "Whoa, let's tear it up and sell it on eBay." <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Well, what I love, right, I love what one kid says where he's like, we're all going to get like a million dollars each. Yeah. I was like, dude, first of all, raise them standards. You could probably sell this for way more, but also good on you for sharing. We all found this. What did he say? Space Bugatti? (laughs) Anyway, it's a good movie. Yes. Killer. Like this movie was a moment, I think, in history, like this movie's existence for sure. And, and I think it was understood even when this movie came out. This movie was nominated for like seven Academy Awards and it won three of them. It got, it was nominated for 226 total accolades and it won 90 of them. Like, I think, I think there was definitely a happy thing that this movie exists and I like it a lot. I think it's, it's up there. I think, I think it's like my favorite of the mcu movies um watching it again made me realize like how how much i appreciate it it definitely bumped it up a couple of ranks uh from the last time i thought about ranking all of those movies but but like the reason i wanted to watch it uh is is because like not not a couple weeks ago right yeah uh chadwick boseman who plays t'challa passed away which sucks there's been a lot of conversation i think about people asking well what happens now what happens with the black panther movies now and i think i don't think that's a conversation that anyone can have and anyone should have because that doesn't matter the bigger question for me you know is like this movie was the first time in a long time that um, a lot of kids could look at a superhero who looks like them and this movie came out you know two years ago wait is that right yeah jesus and yeah, I know, right? It this feels... year has been so long. This, 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 these past two years have been like ten years long. Ugh. Um, but there, there are a lot of kids out there who watch this movie and are gonna have to have this conversation now, which is tough. And I think it, it says to me like we need more movies like this, more movies by black directors and black writers starring black actors for black kids. So that every time this happens, you don't have to think about, like, this was the only one. It, it, it is, like, more than a tragedy that Chadwick Boseman passed away so young and so early in his career. Very few people can say not only that their work outlives them, because that's actually something anybody, almost anybody <laughs> could say, yeah. but that their work is like a cultural touchstone mm-hmm. and could even go so far as to change something. Yeah. Stuff like that is amazing. For as much comfort as that gives you. Uh, it's just been a rough year. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I keep saying it, but here's the thing, Andy, is it keeps being true. I wash my hands of this year for sure. Well, you should wash your hands this year. Oh, yeah. Also, yes. When do you think we're going to get a movie where like everybody in it's just wearing face masks? Like that's just what they're doing. There's going to be like a costume designer who's doing an interview at, at the Oscars like I designed this face mask to represent the character. <laughs> and, and I'm going to be like, fuck, man, 2020 was a fucking year. Anywho, thank you for listening to direct a video VHS. <laughs> I've been your host, Tony Urbis. I have been your host, Andy Reyes. Did we introduce ourselves at the beginning of this? Man, who cares? <laughs> oh, man. They know who we are, probably. Yeah, hopefully. 
Uh, you know where we live? You can live. find me on Twitter at TheaterBets, and you can find my comic at InspiredByTrueEvents.org. And you can find me on Twitter at Royalty underscore Valens. That's it. That's all I do. Is that in this? Yeah, and you can find the podcast at Direct2.video. Heck yeah. Please give us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you catch your podcasts. Uh, we really appreciate them. And just like, just like keep on keeping on, everybody. Yeah. Uh, and uh, big thank you to Lee Rosevere for the song Planet E off the album Trappist, Trappist One. Ah, uh, God, what are we gonna watch next time? Well, we could uh, we could watch the movie that we said we were gonna watch, which sounds exhausting. Just even thinking about that. Can I? I don't want to watch. Th- this might be this might be too much of a request. I don't want to have to think about imperialism for like a little while. That's fair. And, like, we watched Tarzan, which was explicitly, like, weirdly on the wrong side of the imperialist argument. Yeah. And Black Panther, which was on the other side. And I would just like to watch something that has nothing to do with imperialism. That's fair. So you want to watch Pirates of the Caribbean? <laughs> is that what you're... Is that... Am I... Am I on Pirates the wrong... Pirates of the Caribbean 1 doesn't have much to do with imperialism, besides the fact that they are all imperialists. Let me see what my list says. I have a list somewhere. I know. Uh. <laughs> oh, God. Oh. Nah. That's exciting. Hit me with it. What are we watching? No, not that one. No. No, he says. <laughs> I don't remember when we decided these ones. Do you want to watch Van Helsing? Fuck me, dude. <laughs> Why? When did we make this choice? This this one has it listed Van Helsing and Hansel and Gretel. Fuck. <laughs> I've seen both of these movies. Have you? Yeah. Why? Yeah, dude. I will say. We're coming up on October. Yeah, we got it. It's, the, it's that spooky time. <laughs> Fuck. I, here's what I'll say. I'm going to warn you right now. I remember really liking Van Helsing. I think Van Helsing might be good. But I think it might be camp good, which is about what I want. I remember fucking hating Hansel and Gretel though. And I and I like that was a that was a fucking Jeremy Renner movie. Dude, like before people thought he was a good actor and were wrong about it. Ugh, okay. Oh man, I'm not excited about this. Okay. Let's do it. Oh, never mind. This was post- Hansel and Gretel was post-Avengers. It was. I think it was kind of sold on the, the Hawkeye angle. That's insane. This this movie that came out in 2013 feels like it should have come out in 2003, which is when I thought this, it came out. No, this can't be the one. The one I clicked can't be the one. Which one did you click on? Why does this exist? This one? I went to IMDb and typed in Hansel and Gretel. Oh, did you get the horror movie I, that came out like two it, years ago? I mean, this is not a horror movie. It's called Hansel and Gretel Get Baked. Oh, no, that's not it. What? Did somebody make a weed movie about... No. What? Yeah, a.k.a. Hansel and Gretel and the 420 Witch. Wow. Okay, Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters. That's it. That's the one. What is this? <laughs> Look at her freaking top. Oh, this is going to be a bad movie. Oh, yeah. Oh, jeez. Okay, a classic tale with a new twist. Oh, boy. Woof. All right. Yes, let's do it. I'm excited. to. I haven't seen Van Helsing in, like, probably a decade. Yeah, me neither. How do we end? I am the ghost of Johnson. <laughs> Are we done? Is that it? I think so! <laughs> Hold up. 
It's been like two and a half hours. We should be done. And two and a half hours, and before that, like two and a half months.